Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to register for NDC London, January 28th to February 1st. Back in the QE2 Conference Center in Westminster. Yep. And there's a great lineup of speakers. And of course, Scott Hanselman is coming back. And our friend Tess Ferrandez. So go to ndc-london.com to register. And if that isn't awesome enough, NDC is coming to Portugal. The new show is coming to Porto February 26th to March 1st. Two days of workshops and two days of conference. So go to ndcporto.com to register before December 31st and get early bird pricing. And get this, NDC is also coming to Copenhagen March 27th through 29th at DGIBN. It's two days of workshops and a one-day conference. Go to ndcmini.com to learn more. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Finally home from uh, Prague. I know it's January, but... Uh, yeah, welcome to 2019, but we recorded uh, this before December. I hope your New Year's <laughs> Eve was awesome. <laughs> Mine rocked, man. I had such a good time. <laughs> I, I figured I did. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, man, I have something so cool. I've talked about it before for Better Know Framework, but uh, it's so cool in... Something has changed, so roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? You and I are foodies. Yeah, we like to eat. We like to eat, we like to cook. This Doesn't it show? Yeah, and uh, I think it might have even been you who introduced me to the concept of sous vide. Mm-hmm, I've had, I have one of the very first Kickstarters ever was a sous vide cooker. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember what the heck it was called. Was it the like Anova no- Precision was, Cooker by any chance? No, those those ones came later. This was the Nomiku, which was okay. right at the very beginning. It was when I was doing all that work in Hong Kong. Right. This was right at the beginning of all of that. So it's really old now. It's a cranky old device. So first of all, um, it, it, the Anova Precision Cooker is my item for uh, Better Know Framework. But the reason that I'm bringing it up again is because it's only 100 bucks now. Oh, well, it is during like... The, the before Christmas sales. I wonder if it still stay this cheap. Yeah, I don't know. And time shifting to uh, bear. So if you're listening to this and it's January and it's not 100 bucks anymore, blame Carl. Yeah, get back but, in your time machine and uh, see if you can get a deal. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, the, the whole idea of sous vide is wonderful. The idea is that you, you put your food with your seasoning in a vacuum sealed bag. Right. And then you put it in a water bath that maintains a constant temperature. And the whole point of it is that all the chemical reactions that happen at that temperature or below happen. All the ones that happen above that temperature don't happen. Right. And your food is cooked edge to edge perfectly at the same temperature. Yes. And and so chefs love this because, say for steaks, right? You can you can hold a, a, a steak at a perfect medium rare for days. Well, literally, really, really hours. If he if he goes too long, eventually the texture changes. Well, it depends but, on the cut, right? So yeah. if you have a really tough cut of meat, like a chuck steak or something like that. Two days is wonderful for that, but sure. you're right, though. If you have a tender ribeye or something, yeah. it's going to turn to mush after a while. But it, but he's still talking hours, right? You're like, still talking hours, right? Yeah. So it's already cooked when somebody orders it. Yeah. You take it out, you sear it, and it's done, and you put it on the plate and get it out the door. I've fed a dozen people medium rare steaks and had them all sitting in the sous vide cooker ready to go, and you just searing them off and, and passing them out. Yep. It's such a nice way to cook. It's a beautiful way to cook. And, Love it. And you can do this at home. This is a device that clips onto um, a pot that you fill with water, just any old pot. Yep. And uh, it, it goes down and it's like this big torpedo looking thing. And it circulates and heats the water and you can dial in the temperature and it even has alarms and stuff if the water evaporates too far. But I, I've done one better. I actually got a Coleman cooler. Yep. And uh, drilled a hole exactly the right size in the top of the cooler and, you know, put some, you know, tape around it so there's no shards or anything. Stick the precision uh, cooker down in it and you can cook 50 pounds of meat at the same time. It's awesome. I've also used it as a defroster. 
Like oh, just, yeah, sure. Just running it, just keeping the water steady at like a 40 Fahrenheit, still cold, but yep. it will suck the heat out of frozen food really fast. Water is a far better conductor, right. and you don't waste any water because it recirculates it. So it's a really fast way to defrost things. Right, and if you're, it, it's so much better than the microwave, which can tend to just ruin food if yeah. you're defrosting with the microwave because well, it overheats in some spots and underheats in others. So no, I've also totally eggs are really great. Yeah, Perfect when you eggs. when you're ready to really start experimenting with sous vide, you start experimenting at half degree temperature variations on eggs because mm. eggs change. Yeah. Cool. All right, All right. That's what I got. Who's talking to us today, buddy? Grabbed a comment off of show 1574, dipping back to August of 2018. While we were at NDC in Sydney, actually, no, this we shot this before we went to Sydney. This was with Adam Cogan. All our, right. Our favorite Australian friend, his nine nights of Azure. Because I know we're having yeah. a great Azure conversation today. And uh, I really appreciated how Adam helped us organize thinking as developers on the pieces of Azure we need and in what order. Agreed. And perhaps today this show will be another piece of that. This comment comes from Troy Whittlecoft, who says, love this show. I will be sharing it with my developers. When discussing Azure data options, Adam really struck a chord. In Azure, we really are flooded with choices. The list is long. Cosmos, data lakes, data bricks, data warehouse, data factories. Is there any yeah. such thing as an Azure data architect? Someone mm. who specializes in analyzing the data patterns of organizations and selecting the right tools for the job. Can we get that person on the show? Mm, nah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea. It, you know, I don't, it, everybody's got their own views on data as well. I think it's very challenging to organize them all. Because, Troy, you listed a few, but you did leave off like Azure SQL, Azure mm. Postgres, Azure MySQL. Like, there is a lot of ways to store data in Azure. Right. So, not a simple problem. So, Troy, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .nanrocks.com or via any of our social media. Well, Facebook. We publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. And uh, make sure that they're at least 145 degrees. Otherwise, bacteria <laughs> be safe. will grow be safe. on them. Yeah, that's it. Okay, let's introduce Mark Mercury. Oh my God, it's been so long since we talked to Mark. He is now a principal program manager for blockchain at Microsoft. He leads the PM team for Microsoft's blockchain product portfolio. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, way too long, sir. Way, way too long. What the heck were we talking about before, like uh, the Mars mission? We did that. That's like 2010. There was the RoboChamps in 2008. Wow. Yeah, I talked to you guys about all the cool stuff I'm working on. So this is yeah. uh well you I, get, I have something really cool to come back for. You get to work on the cool stuff. How do you how do you swing a job like that? <laughs> I am just a very, very lucky guy. You're obviously doing something right. Yeah, no, it's 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 good fun. And this latest thing is just uh is just fantastic. So first of all, blockchain is what Bitcoin's based on. And you, this isn't gonna be a blockchain primer, but um I wanna know what Microsoft is doing in the space. Sure. So um one of the things that's very different about this, and it also sort of ties back to the cloud model, is you know if this was one of the first conversations we had way back when, um, I'd be here telling you about the virtues of Microsoft Blockchain Server Enterprise Edition 2018 uh -huh. R2, something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, CPP1. And, and I'd be trying to sell you a license, and I would really hope that you used it, but if you didn't use it, I would still get paid. Uh, but that really isn't the way that the cloud works anymore, which is actually very great and, and very uh, liberating. And so what we do is is we've talked to the community, and, and we say blockchain, it's really a, a category of technology. Hmm. There are actually 100, and think about it like NoSQL or relational databases, for example. Sure. Yeah. And so there's 120 different types of blockchains when I stopped counting. There's probably three or four that are, are, are the most popular today. Um, things like Corda and Ethereum and, and Hyperledger. And um, customers said, well, please don't make number 121. Like, can you do what Microsoft does best? Uh, and really, you know, whether it's identity and networking, we'll talk about DevOps or integration or, or uh, tooling and that sort of stuff. And it's like, can you do that really, really well uh, and augment what people are doing in the community? Because we got lots of blockchain people who are doing great blockchain. Hmm. Can you do what you do best and sort of do the, you know, chocolate plus peanut butter equals something better as the commercials go? So let me get this straight. So blockchain is like a, it's sort of a set of uh, services or ideas, and then people build protocols on top of that. Is that what it is? Well, so think of it this way is um, today, like if you, uh, if Carl, if you wanted to buy some Microsoft stock for me today, um, it would, you could go online and maybe you go to Fidelity and I go to JP Morgan or something like that. 
um, we'd find a way to find each other and we'd do a transaction and it would seem like it happened instantaneously. But it actually took uh, probably three days to actually settle before I get my money and you get your stock. And it's because we don't, you don't know that I've got the stock to sell and I don't know you've got the money to buy it. So we go through brokers and those brokers go through a clearinghouse and I see. we had like lots of inefficiencies and everyone has their own copy of the database, which can get out of sync and, and uh, all these other things. And so, um, a blockchain is a, it, actually we call it a distributed ledger. A distributed ledger is a cryptographically secure, uh, so you can feel confidence not being tampered with, immutable, um, and ledger. And so from a ledger, think about like your checking account, there's debits and credits. I'm not updating a database uh, column or row necessarily. Right. There's a full transactional log, which also helps with trust. Yep. Uh, and then um, it's also shared. So it is something that uh, multiple parties can share. So um, in Bitcoin, for example, you have a lot of people that don't know each other in a public network that are uh, effectively transacting and adding their own nodes to the network. And then we also have this notion of private chains where, say, everyone in a supply chain may host a chain that's that they're running and you can get almost differently between like public clouds and private clouds, but like in the shared data technology. And so with Bitcoin, it's, I'm going to do this transaction. So we're, we're sort of buying and selling coins uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we're doing different types of transactions. Uh, but there's also this notion of something called a smart contract. And so a smart contract allows you to take a business process. And so it's really a set of transactions that are organized uh, in, a, in a business process. Um, there's some state that's attached to that. Um, and you can put those together. So now you don't just have a testable transactions, but you can have a testable processes. And so if you go back to that stock scenario, you can have people um, sort of transacting directly in, in the future and doing some things where uh, you, you, lo- you depend on other people today, like brokers and other scenarios, mm-hmm. where you may not need to do that in future. Um, it can also dramatically not just uh, reduce uh, time and cost for things in the developed world, but think about, uh, and one of the things that I've been really excited about is in a sort of emerging markets, um, things have sometimes been cost prohibitive because of the, uh, the, the cost sort of deliver things to an emerging market where, uh, you can use a mixture of automation and a testable processes to make products that were used to be like financially unviable, um, very much viable. Like if you think about drought insurance, for example, for smallhold farmers in Africa who might make $360 a year, hmm. it was really hard to deliver a product to them. Um, that was, uh, one where the insurer could make money and also delivered, um, goodness to the, to the farmers. And now we're seeing multiple insurers sort of go after that space and find ways with, with automation and satellite data and other things like that, where they can go ahead and, um, leverage blockchain to, to do so what we call like blockchain for good. And also my okay. colleague Ankur Patel is leading a team in identity that's, that's using blockchain for identity and distributed identity. And so Interesting. that's great for consumer scenarios, but imagine, you know, there's some great stories, um, where in a refugee camp where, um, I personally had not thought about this to this degree, but you could live in a refugee camp your entire life and not have an identity. Right. Right. And so how do you handle identity and do transactions and, and have a history and profiles and things like that, that can allow you to, to, to sort of live your life that we take for granted. All you need is a GUID and a dream. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you sir should be in marketing. Yes. <laughs> I, I kind of like this idea of you imagine a Syrian refugee who's left everything behind because their house got blown up. And they can't prove their identity right now, but they arrive at a refugee camp and they could use blockchain to basically keep a record of their behavior in that camp. Like you have to basically build an identity with no origin at that point. And some point when you can actually reestablish their identity, you're going to be able to glue all this back together. Like it allows for interruption. It does. I mean, so there are also some things where um, there are some big business scenarios where it's been fun to go and show them how they can add value to different people in the supply chain, uh, for example. And so if you think about, uh, maybe that's that small hold farmer we were talking about before. And um, so he might uh, grow coffee or might grow uh, cocoa or some other commodity. They deliver that in a sack to a collection point and then it's gone ahead and uh, maybe it goes to a cooperative and then you know eventually it gets sold to a supplier. And then uh, at the end of the day, it's a candy bar or a bag of coffee or something like that that's on a shelf that we buy. Right. And so we have lots of people interested in like, let me show you the provenance of where this came from. So from an organizational perspective, there's a food safety perspective for some of that. So if there's an issue like we've had, um, like romaine lettuce seems to keep having a problem. Yep. Like I can understand like exactly where that is because recalls are really expensive. And sure. it's a scenario where if, if if one person's selling bad salad, like no one's having bad salad. We had American Thanksgiving not too long ago. And like there was no salad at my house because we weren't sure where the stuff came from. Right. And so we'll attract that as good. But then you can add value to that farmer. So if that farmer today 
he doesn't know what his product's being sold for. Like, so there's a way, like we work with suppliers that are um, actually really interested in making sure that, um, or, or manufacturers that are really interested in making sure that their suppliers are taken care of and their, their farmers are taken care of. And so they want to do things like make sure that they understand what the fair price of their product is. Um, and so they can, sh- because you've got sort of this, you're tracking all the transactions, you can sort of show them that your product was sold for this price. Or you can say that, hey, you deliver, um, ultimately I buy your product and I buy your product because I've got a very high bar in terms of product quality, but you don't necessarily know that today and you have no way to prove that today, but I can selectively disclose information to you, um, that you can then share with third parties and effectively you can give them a level of credit, um, or give them the basis to establish credit. So I've been delivering, uh, cocoa to this particular chocolate manufacturer, um, every season for the last five seasons. And that should, could allow them to get things from a local bank. And then as you, as you should move down the line uh, in history, uh, move forward in, in history, you're going to be able to have other people do like peer lending and other things like that that will emerge as, as part of this model. So so the interesting thing is that in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, it sounds like digital technology. I mean, this is these are the kinds of scenarios that we wanted when we started building databases and putting things, um, taking them off, off uh, books and, and putting them online. But you have essentially the, the benefit here is that you've got a, a distributed immutable database right that uh, that anyone can look at and th- i think that's the the real thing that enables all this isn't it it is and so one of the things that um it sort of evolved over time so if you think about like version 1.0 was we could do simple transactions and 2.0 we added these contracts the next thing that people realize is hey maybe we don't need to have everybody know everything and so there's certain levels of confidentiality and so i maybe want to track things all the way through but if say um, company A sells to company B, sells to company C. And so company B may be making some money off of that. Company, if company C know that they were buying from company A, it could throw off the economics. They could sort of cut out um, yeah, party B man. and things like that. So there's a number right. of places where you may not want to share everything. And so you've seen the, the ledger sort of evolve um, to add confidentiality as well. And so like with Ethereum, you've got the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance has just put out a spec uh, for that. You've had uh, chains like Quorum, which put out with JPMorgan Chase and Corda, uh, High Ledger Fabric, all have approaches to, to layer confidentiality on top of the, the chains as well. So does that throw a monkey wrench in the whole, you know, we want to be able to inspect the, the entire transaction log scenario? It, it doesn't, it doesn't. So um, you can add participants um, that are appropriate to see whatever data that you want. Um, so if you say like a government needs to be an observer, um, you know, people think about, um, transactions, they tend to think about, uh, the buyer and the seller, but you can also share that with the government. And so like things like auditing, which take a lot of time and money today, it's more of an event. Mm. You could share that with the government at the appropriate level and they could do audits whenever they wanted to and in an automated fashion. And so things like that could go away. The other thing that's uh, important is that you can also think about these attestable processes can also govern access rights. And so if you think about um, at the end of the day, you know, whether it's your electronic health record oil loyalty points or a skin you bought in the video game Fortnite or things like that, at the end of the day, these are all really just digital assets. And so if you think about a, uh, a smart contract representing a, a business process, that process could represent um, a license or could represent a digital good that can have uh, rights assigned to third parties. And so I could have my medical record and, and really this puts people more control of their data, which people have been talking about forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I could have the contract that represents my identity and I can selectively share information with a third party or a doctor can request um, access to my medical information or my insurer can, and I can selectively share information for like a constrained purpose. Yeah. And even from a consumer scenario, like uh, hey, Carl, I've got the new movie, The Predator, that came out today on DVD. I think you'd really like it. And it's like, oh, well, how do I get that to you? It's like, well, I bought that on Xbox and you use um, Voodoo or something like that. Like, how do I share that? Or we both are on Xbox, but it's not on your account. And so right. you could notionally license it to you for the, like, the next 48 hours and then get it back. And so this whole concept of like digital ownership, which um, doesn't really exist today. You don't own it. You kind of own it, lease with, it. with constraints. Yeah, yeah you kind of lease it. Yeah. Uh, and so you can do a lot of things with that as well. So we're seeing lots of really exciting scenarios. Um, and we've got people all over the continuum. So lots of people are excited about it. Um, some people think it's going to be the next internet. Um, the nice thing about not having our own ledger is um, 
I can be really candid and say, listen, like a database is just fine for this, right? And in many cases, a database is just fine for this. Mm. And you don't want to push blockchain for something that, that it's not uh, good for. And that's a sad day, by the way, to have someone all excited about use blockchain as the guy that leads the PM team say, yeah, don't use my stuff for that. But, uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't really need this. A database will do. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mark, can you hold that thought for just a moment while we take some time out for this very important message? Hey, Carl here. If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? <laughs> it's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of music to code by before October 24th, 2017, you're eligible to win a free six month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. Download Music to Flow by in your app store and flow on. All right, and we're back. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, and that's Mark Mercury, and we're talking blockchain and just starting to uh, scratch at how Microsoft is getting into this, uh, into the blockchain technology. Yeah, so when we talk about some of the different things we've got in the portfolio, we've got a lot of stuff that we've shipped in the last uh couple of months. And I think depending on, regardless of where people are right now, we've got something that is, is a great fit for them. Um, and we just released the Azure blockchain development kit, which allows you to not just do things on blockchain, but really do some, uh, some very cool stuff as well, as well as a logic app connector. Uh, so lots of great stuff there. So if it's not at Ledger, what's in the blockchain development kit? What people talked about initially is they said, hey, we want to get a Ledger, right? And help me get a Ledger spun up. And so they asked right. about infrastructure. So, so Microsoft's first pass uh, our first iteration was we'll give you this, these templates that will automate the deployment of a blockchain network. And then people were very happy and then they realized, wow, um, I've got it now, but it's not a database. It doesn't speak SQL. It doesn't work with any of my tools. And then people would go to consultants and they would say, oh, we can do a proof of concept for you, but it'll take eight to 12 weeks and about $500,000, which is a non-start. Right. And so we built this thing called Azure Blockchain Workbench. We released it build this year back in May. And so you could write a smart contract and then it would generate everything, all the scaffolding around that. Because that four to 500,000 was largely the scaffolding hmm. that you needed to, to, to go build out. And so it built everything for you. And so you got like a web UI and put data into SQL so you could write queries and, and, um, and fired off events from the ledger and, and uh, dynamically built UIs. And we had a lot of people really happy with that. Uh, but then we said, you know what, there's more that we can go do. And, and so if we want to, if you think about the, in the cloud model, um, the other nice thing is of uh, not selling you a license is it is in my best interest to get you to production as fast as possible. Sure. I, and so when I looked at some of the scenarios that we were doing with our customer success team and our field and our partners, we realized that there was, if you're going to do like a supply chain scenario, there were a number of things that people needed that we had in the platform that we could provide either with configuration or with samples to help people go even faster that sort of surrounded the letter. And so, you know, I sort of look at these in sort of three big buckets. So uh, connect, integrate, and, and deploy. So we say connect. Um, if I look at a supply chain scenario, um, I'm going to have that small hold farmer that want inter to interact with the blockchain. But the reality is they don't have an iPhone in their pocket. They don't have an Android phone in their pocket. They, they can do uh, SMS. And so how do you have people that uh, primary mode of, of compute and interaction with the blockchain has to be SMS. And so we built samples that will do two-way SMS um, that connects up to a logic app, and then we'll go ahead and, and insert that into the chain and also can communicate back, uh, whether to the farmer, also doing alerts when something goes bad. Um, then we've also got um, integrated voice response. You can have, uh, when something happens in the blockchain, you can get a notification that says, hi, Richard, this has happened. Uh, we have a sample where like ice cream is melting, and if it refreezes, it'll get make people really sick. You can say, we've noticed that this ice cream in this package has been or this, the shipment has been melting, uh, press one to have it destroyed, press two to have it returned, press three to send it along, and those sorts of things. So you can interact with people that are on the go and without having to, you can collect information uh, using simple simple key presses. And that works. And then you've got, how do you do uh, mobile, native mobile and web as well. And native mobile, if you think about the blockchain can provide this attestable information, you have access to media now. And so I can go ahead and make sure that when I deliver this truck, I can take a picture of the show that, it, that it's full and that I was actually at this location at this time. And so we'll do things like that. But then we also have people that say, you know what, I've also got devices that are reporting like temperature, like that ice cream. So we want to have IoT integration. So we've got samples that integrate IoT Hub and IoT Central uh, into it. And then, hey, for the end consumer, um, I might want to be able to use um, a bot or, you know, we say a bot to us, it, we look at all the bots. So we've got samples for Cortana all and the bots. web. We got web and Alexa and... Uh, Teams and Skype. Um, we've got Google Assistant. So you name it. And so we, we can use any of those to interact 
with the ledger. So we have samples for all of those. Um, and so we've got a fair bit on, on connect. So regardless of how you want to connect, whether it's the smallhold farmer or the retailers or other folks like that, uh, we provide ways to do that. Other people want to be able to connect through things like Dynamics, so we have samples for that too. Nice. Uh, and, and so like that solves like the the interface problem. And we've got some samples for web that show how to do customizations and whatnot. And the next thing is like integrate. And so everyone talks about how the blockchain is going to change the world. And and clearly, you know, I, I've taken a job in engineering because I think that's true. Has it but yet? There's also the, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff coming that I just get excited every day coming up. It's not public yet because a lot of folks are, are – the production scenarios are only just coming out. Okay. And I can talk about a couple of them that are actually pretty cool um, that are public now. But um, it, that helps you on the, the UI side, but you got to integrate. And so the integration is just messy, right? And so I'm working with you know, financial institutions that make billions of dollars, and they deliver data using FTP still. And it's in flat files. And you sort of need to go ahead and get that data in and, and translate across. Or people are doing EDI and, and XML. Or they've, um, they, with this one customer says, oh, we're going to get the data in the format that you want. And it's going to be great in January. But right now, I get an email attachment of an Excel document or a PDF file. Picture like, how do we go ahead and... Picture of a fax. Almost <laughs> useful, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, before that, and so people are like, oh, that's going to be really difficult to go do. And... And so we have, uh, we've sort of leaned in on the platform, or they also want to do like SaaS. They want to get into Office or SAP or Salesforce or right. uh, you name it. And so um, Adobe. And so we've sort of leaned into Logic Apps. We use Microsoft Serverless for this and all the samples that we're building, actually. Um, and so people are able to go ahead and um, do this integration with Logic Apps, which has 200 connectors. And so you want to connect to SQL, you want to connect to Amazon Redshift, you want to connect to uh, Google Drive. We've done some stuff with that as well. Uh, we'll talk about in a minute. And so sort of this integration piece is something we've done a lot of different scenarios around. Um, and so we've got a lot of the traditional like messy enterprise stuff there. Um, we have some SaaS integration, some data integration. Um, we also have, um, you know, I talked about like media and images a second ago. So one of the big things that people talk about is, um, you know, having a testable information on a blockchain. And so this is on this ledger that can't be changed. And they said, well, there's lots of media scenarios that that would make sense for. Like how can yeah. I make sure that this body cam um, footage from this police officer hasn't been tampered with, or this movie that I'm getting is actually the real movie. And sometimes that right. could be the, uh, you know, pirated copy, but it also we have a uh, one customer that sent like the wrong version of an animated film, like the French version to a TV station in, in Italy. Right. And they can't use that and to sort of get the credits back. It's kind of a mess. So there's lots of yeah. reasons why you'd want to be to, to attest to it, but you don't put the block, you wouldn't put files on a blockchain, just like you really wouldn't put them in a database. Right. And so, no. um, when you, they talk to anybody on blockchain. It's like, oh, well, the answer to that is simple. You just go ahead and hash the file, and you put that into the blockchain. Uh, no. Gigabyte movie? It's, so the hash is actually not small. So you can go do that, but no one tells you how to go do that. And so we said, well, right. we can use serverless to uh, lean in on the connectors we already have in, in Logic Apps and make it easy for anyone to just go light this up. And so we've got samples for, and this is a long list. I'll probably forget some. So whether it's that FTP scenario or Google Drive or Azure Storage or One uh, OneDrive, OneDrive for Business, SharePoint, Box, or Adobe Creative Cloud, you run this, you point it at that uh, particular folder or wherever you're, you're expecting the files. It will get a notification, pick it up, go ahead and process it, hash the file as well as hash the metadata about that file because sometimes you have people using images with the wrong context for uh, quote-unquote fake news or, right. or spam and whatnot. And then we provided some contracts for a file registry that'll put that onto the blockchain. And so something that, you know, everyone's talked about, you can now get up and running in, you know, 20 minutes. Wow. So there's lots of stuff like that where it's like, how can we go help people go further faster? And so like, I really try to, I, I think about um, when I started coding, right? There's a lot of people that were not coders. It was, they were doing other things, but they were really passionate. They had an idea mm. and they might've had an hour, right? And so it could be like an hour before work, about lunch, or maybe their spouse is watching Game of Thrones or Grey's Anatomy or something like that, and they've got an hour to go code. Like, how can we help them be super productive at a really uh, reasonable price, too? I mean, that's the other thing. And so they don't have time to manage VMs or other things like that. So with serverless, which is what we leaned in pretty heavily for this, it's super cheap. And so when we get to the deploy piece. We did a bunch of stuff with like Azure DevOps and um, some functions that were used with uh, a company called Truffle we do a lot of work with in, in the DevOps space. And like, yeah, um, I think I spent 26 cents like in the last four days. Because <laughs> you're paying per use, right? And so right. Um, it's one of those things that um, you could have. It used to be like if I wanted to go build something, um, A, it was difficult. And then it was also expensive, right? And it used to be I had to acquire a server, like a physical server. And now I can get a VM, which is cheaper. 
but then I got to manage that and patch it and other things like that. But now if I get serverless, it allows me to go much, much faster and I can scale and I get access to connectors and things like that. And so we did that. And then we said, hey, we could do one step further because you still need to write some blockchain code to get it onto the chain. And we said, hey, for logic apps and flow, we could create these connectors. And so, and what a connector does, if people are, are not familiar, you can go ahead and um, drop this into like this visual workflow designer. Kind of if you're familiar with like in the, in the consumer space, if this, then that, it's very similar to that. I was going to say very similar to BizTalk, but that would be mean. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I remember when BizTalk was cool, man. That's how old I am. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, hey, I, I wrote my share of Funktoids, man, for audience members. Funk remember toys, that. But, uh, I, I, I cleared mine up with a cream. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I set myself up for that one. Ta-dum. But it sounds like very much the logic app type workflow you can do uh, against blockchain to decide how you're going to insert things and you know sort of what happens next. Well, yeah, so initially we we had Azure Blockchain Workbench. So you can communicate that with, with that using Logic Apps. Um, right. We said, you know, we could actually do a connector. And so a connector for folks that aren't familiar with that, it, it exposes sort of three types of um, capabilities. One is a trigger. So when something happens in a smart contract, it can go ahead and activate some code, uh, you know, a Logic App. So it could be something where it's a... a contract has gone out of compliance maybe the temperature has gone below something uh, in an iot monitored package or something like that mm-hmm. right or something has moved to a stage where someone needs to take action it's going to send them an email or something um, the other thing is it can take uh, an action uh, and so that'll go ahead and allow you to go um, do something and so you can plug that into the workflow and so here you're going to uh, basically do a, a read from the blockchain or a write to the blockchain and so what we've said is we can also just give you this thing where you can go and type in like the one we just released is called the Ethereum blockchain connector. We're going to do ones for Corda, Hyperledger, and Bitcoin as well, uh, Hyperledger Fabric. And so um, you type it in there. You can drop it on and say, I want to do like right to the blockchain. And then you're up and going really quickly. So if you think about like way back when you had like Visual Basic and I can drag and drop controls onto a visual interface. Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. Uh, now you can go ahead and do this with, with blockchain. Wow. And so I can say like if you wanted to say, hey, um, Whenever someone adds a record to Dynamics, like a purchase order, I want to go ahead and add a new smart contract into blockchain that reflects that. Hmm. Like Historically, that might have been like a huge learning curve. You had to learn the uh, Dynamics APIs and blockchain APIs and logic apps and, right. and write a bunch of code and that sort of thing. Now you take in, there's a trigger for Dynamics that says when a new um, item is created. And then on the blockchain side, you have a deploy smart contract and you provide the information there. So you provide like the connection information and you're done. And so... Like for me, the thing that I'm most excited about is, um, you know, if you have someone who really has like an hour, you can now say, wow, you could actually do a couple things in an hour. You can be super, super productive. Um, and, you know, right now it's a logic apps connector, but it also has some called flow, which is really designed more for the office. It's similar, almost identical capabilities within the, the office um, ecosystem. And now we're really, really trying to bring like blockchain to everybody. So for me, and the reason why I get excited is that, you know, I think the blockchain stuff has the potential to change the world. But if the friction is super high, like it was when I first started, like I saw very smart people on the verge of tears, like I can't get this thing to work when I first started. Right. And now you can go from that to, um, you know, Johnny who doesn't do any, Johnny from accounting has an idea and he's not a coder and he could pull something together um, very, very quickly. And so we got all the mm. connectors that are there, we'll connect to the legacy stuff. Um, and then we have this, the dev kit stuff that'll show you how to do the UI connectivity and the things I talked about. And now these actual logic app connectors allow you to connect to the chain super easy. So um, I think from a developer, it's it's uh, the combination of stuff that we've just released really is the combination of things you need to go and, and try some things out um, in a very efficient amount of time. And, and because it's serverless at a, at a very low cost, they're really trying yeah. to lower the the barrier to entry there. So, so this might be an obvious question, um, but um, what about data structures? Uh, is there any uh, constraint in terms of what you can, not necessarily what you should, but what you can put on the blockchain in, in terms of um, you know data? No, that's a great question. It's one that comes up a fair bit, actually. So um, what I like to say is the blockchain is forever. Right. And so there's certain things that you don't because it's immutable. And so there's certain things that just don't make sense. And so, you know, traditionally you might not put PII in a system, which right. um, you would not do here. PII? Um, uh, personally identifiable information. Oh, okay. So like names and addresses and that sort of thing. Um, and in the world where in places like Europe, you have things like um, GDPR, which um, yeah. like right to be forgotten and things like that. You definitely don't want to put it in there. Right. And so what you'll do is, is you might store that and we call an off-chain database. Uh, and you have like the ID for that record is stored inside of the ledger and there's a hash of that row or, or certain 
data, you know, certain uh, columns in the, in the, the records mm-hmm. um, that may get hashed and stored in the database. So you know that if something ex- is stored externally, you know what it was pointing to, and also have a hash of what it was what it was reflecting to. Um, so yeah, so the data, what you put in there is, is super important. The other thing is that um, depending on the blockchain technology you're using, um, they offer different things that uh, as it relates to data. And so sometimes it's the different data types that are supported. Um, some of them are fairly limited. Some are full, you know, some you can write in like Java or Kotlin and, and you get sort of full-fledged uh, programming languages. Although they are written in things like Solidity, which is fairly limited and more of a JavaScript-like language. But and there, so isn't, certain, and there isn't a constraint that you have to come up with a schema beforehand like you would in a relational database, right? I mean, you can just attach some data, whether it's, you know, JSON data or whatever, just to a particular item in the chain, right? So it, it really depends on what you want to go do, right? And so sometimes the smart contract um, really does have the schema in the state. And so if I was looking at, a say, a lease for a car, um, I might have uh, one smart contract that represented the vehicle. So the schema there would be make, model, VIN number, registration number, owner, those sorts of things. I might have another smart contract that is associated with that contract. So I might want to have its actual the lease that will say, here are the terms here is the, the, the owner, the lessee, the um, monthly payment amount, those sorts of things. and has transactions related to making payments against that vehicle. So you really do have the schema that's there. Um, if you want to do something where it's uh, the file center I just talked about, it's a fairly generic schema that works with any type of file, but there is that notion of a, of a schema. Um, so sometimes it's, it's representation of a process and the sort of the state of that process. Yeah. In other cases, it's a representation of a thing and the state of that, that thing. All right, but I, I I think you answered my question, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, in a relational database, you've got a schema, so a smart contract in this case, but now you want to add, for lack of a better word, a record. I don't know what you, an entry into the ledger, I don't know what the, the noun is there, but in this one, you don't want all of the, the things that you put in a smart contract, you just want to add, you know, some sort of uh, note that something was done, maybe, or... Uh, you know, something outside of the standard data structure. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and so there's a couple ways to look at that. So you could say that um, within the smart contract, I've got my state, so I've got my schema, but I also have functions. So think of it if you're doing like a class in like C Sharp or something like that. I've got a set of public properties, and then I've got a set of functions. And the functions represent transactions that can impact the state. And then I've got the state that's reflected in the in the properties. Um, and so if you actually look at a smart contract, it looks very similar to stuff that we've been writing code for forever. Okay. Um, there's, there's just a set of, uh, you know, it basically gets compiled down to, to work in a different VM, like for Ethereum, it's the Ethereum EVM, uh, for example, for uh, Corda, they get compiled down to jar files. Um, but it will, it will look very similar to what you have, but it's mm-hmm. this combination of, of function and state. Okay. Should we talk a little bit more about the whole smart contract idea? Cause I, I think of it in the point of view of being able to create execute and complete a contract without a human intervention? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no, right? And okay. so uh, let's talk about like an IoT scenario where you might yeah. want, not want to have any human inter- intervention. I'll give you a couple actually. So um, I'm driving my car down the turnpike. I'm passing a toll booth, right? Like why should yep. I have to stop? Yeah. And so my vehicle could have a identity that's associated with it. The toll booth can have an identity that's associated with it. Um, and they can be authorized against my account to go ahead and, and perform transactions. And so that's a simple one where just go pay the toll booth. But you can imagine another one where, um, you know, a lot of people in IoT talk about um, a predictive maintenance. So today I can say, hey, um, when this is uh, when this machine is showing these this data, it likely indicates that we should do predictive maintenance. You might want to call someone. Um, and so if I now have a testable data that I have high confidence in, um, then I might be able, and I have identities of the systems and things that can be authorized. I could say, okay, what I want you to do is I, this indicates that this part is needed. And so if I need this part, go ahead and buy that part. And maybe I don't buy the part. I buy the 3D file that it can be used to print the part. And then the, the, the part is then, uh, the file is then delivered locally and it gets printed out so it can be replaced on site. So there really is no waiting. Uh, and so I've got a testable data from tracking the processes and the data coming in from IoT. I have a process that says um, when the predictive maintenance algorithm, which occurs off off chain, determines that this uh, data has, has indicated that a part is needed, 
go ahead and transact with one of these three parties. And you can actually do like negotiations on price with these parties automatically through contract. Right. Uh, go ahead and uh, initiate the purchase. And then that purchase is recorded um, on the blockchain. And then a file has been, uh, the rights to print a file are sent to you, which you can then um, automatically have your smart contract route to your 3D printer, hmm. which can then be printed. And the rights that you have to print out these things can be decremented. So now you don't have any more rights. So that's a big challenge with 3D printers, right, is how do you make sure people don't um, take files and just sort of print willy-nilly and, and don't pay the, the folks the, on the back end. And so right. you're going to have that all happening behind the scenes. And by the way, because that file is also attached to the IP owners on the back of that, we can go ahead and make sure that when that payment comes in, it gets distributed to the right people at the right time. So I know right. um, you guys were talking earlier about like music to code buy, right? And so if I were selling something on my website or I was selling, a, I made a film with some of that music in it, uh, you know, the Mark McCurry coding story, and we had some music <laughs> in there. Um, when people bought that movie, your rights to that song are associated with that and you get paid right away and handled automatically. And so think about like, right. the overhead you have for certain artists to go do something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, rights usage and entitlements and payments and royalties. Actually, we did something recently for Xbox for handling royalties um, that can help uh, in that situation as well. Another cool scenario that's a real world one that we've done with uh, Maersk and a product called InsureWave is think about boats and insurance. Like not a, you might say, hey, that's not a really sexy topic, but imagine that boat now goes into a war zone, hmm. right? Um, how do you handle insurance for that? And so what you can do is you can have a smart contract that says your insurance policy is X. And then we're going to get regular information from GPS devices. And if you go into a war zone, your rate is going to go through the roof. Right. And then when you get out of the war zone, it'll go back down. And um, you could start imagining different types of products you can make available to people that manage risk effectively, but also help uh, improve overall costs and things like that. Um, and it's great. It's kind of a dynamic actuarialism, right? To literally compute risk on the fly. So you're talking about um, uh, maybe a, a GPS device on your boat that uh, uploads location to the blockchain and then something figures it out and boom, your insurance goes up. Yeah, it basically says that that part of the world is one where there's a war right now. You should, you should huh. be there. Um, so there's lots of really great scenarios um, that we're seeing. Um, you know, there's also sort of a testable um, audit is something we see a lot. And so that could be like Mark, from a security perspective, Mark came in and out of this building. Um, I went ahead and took my standards of business conduct training. Um, it could be that I took my vehicle in to be serviced. And so you've got sort of a testable history of a vehicle and its service history and whatnot. Um, so there's lots of places we're seeing people do that um, as well. Um, and then also like registries. And so um, we had some folks from uh, New Zealand and Australia who said, hey, you know what? Uh, we sell steel. And there are people in the steel industry that are selling steel that is with forged certificates. And right. so what that means is they're selling and they're selling for 20% below market rate. And mm. so we want to sell, you know, we, our families have been in business forever. Uh, we want to be in business forever and we do that based on our reputation, but it's really hard to do that with people that are selling forged certificates. Mm. And so the, from a, it's bad for business, but just imagine buildings falling down in 20 years because they've got a bad product. Yeah. And so if you think about what we talked about earlier and sort of blockchain and media and be able to attest to an image. So it's not just that body cam image, but like, was this certified to be true? Is the certificate real? So whether it's um, you went to this university or that this steel had met this grade or, or those sorts of things. Um, there's a number of cases there where, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like a super um, sexy scenario, but it's things that actually do help the world. Uh, you know, it stops buildings from people falling, uh, stop buildings from falling on people and that stuff like that. Well, just a, just a way to really measure truth, right? It is that the form's not enough. The, the um, origins of that, that actual uh, terror, the path of it is what matters. So is it allowing other people to come in and validate that, um, you, you know, sort of the ratings model? You know, I won't buy anything on Amazon unless it's got a number of good ratings. And I'll even read the bad ratings and reviews and see what people are saying about something. But uh, is it sort of that idea? Is that uh, the more people are looking at it and validating it? the more you can be sure that that is the truth. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the big thing is, is uh, you could call it like Yelp for X, right? But if you have this <laughs> attestable data um, in different places, and the and thing is that people already collect this information. And so if you right. could now, uh, so when I talk to customers, they're like, hey, wait a minute. Um, I had this customer I talked to who was like a workforce provider. And they're like, wow, if people can connect directly, they don't need me anymore. I'm like, well, actually, you have attestable information on employment history for people going back decades. Yeah. Like if, if I can share that with people, imagine what 
sorts of decisions they could make. And so one of the stories um, that, that someone told me was about a customer we have in, in Dubai, and they would love to be able to sell you a, um, a, a condo or a apartment uh, while you're on your couch with two clicks on your phone. And you're like, well, how does something like that even happen, right? And you can say, well, well, think about it. And so for you to be able to buy that from a person you've never met before, you want to be able to know, are those pictures legitimate? And so they could be attested on the blockchain. Is this builder a, a legitimate person? Um, and there's history uh, that could be had from the local government that says this person is licensed and bonded. And they built these other things. And what's the reputation for the other things they built and the materials they've used? And, and has this been sold five or six times uh, already, which has happened sometimes with apartments in foreign countries? Uh, and, and none of that. Is, and so you can feel pretty confident this is, is legit. It's what I think it is and whatnot. And then if, as the buyer, um, I can use my bank, who, who, as they do today, through different mechanisms, can attest to my wealth. Um, they can also... Um, attest to my credit score, potentially. My employer can attest to my uh, earning capacity and the number of years I've been there, which can you know, influence uh, algorithms that uh, identify sort of trustworthiness and, and uh, loan mm. quality. And, and so it's very easy for us to go ahead and, and transact. And by the way, where brokers used to do that transaction, um, not only could you do it fast and from your couch, um, but you can cut out maybe 6% in fees. For yeah. doing that. Um, and then you say, well, couldn't I, if we have that information, couldn't a a bank then give me a mortgage dynamically based on that? An insurance company give me a dynamic policy? And the answer is yes. And so the big thing is once you have that trust uh, and sort of the, the reputation, um, then you can start lighting up all sorts of things. And so I see blockchain as, as being really transformational because it allows you not just to have the attestable processes, but this attestable data that can be plugged into other things. And you can share discreetly. So it's, it's pretty neat. Can it be gamed? Can people game the system? They can, they can. And so, but there are safeguards in place that it's very hard to do, right? And so, um, and let's talk about the difference between public and private chains, right? And so a public chain is something like Bitcoin. And so um, what you have to do there is do what's called a 51% attack is what people refer that to. And so you get nodes from all over the world and 51% of the people would have to get together and basically um, to to be bad actors in in collusion to drive... um, uh, change and, and uh, you know, results that you may not want to. They sort of can take control of things. So very unlikely to happen. Um, now, part of the things that are in place right there is something called a consensus algorithm in terms of how we get data onto the chain. And so there, um, you hear about Bitcoin being like really expensive and, and, and that's why they use this consensus algorithm called proof of work. And that's really designed for a scenario where you don't trust anyone, you don't know anyone. It could be responsible adults, but drug dealers and, and uh, killers and, and terrorists and that sort of thing. And so that is something where, you know, the efficiency on, on the public chain today is, is not great um, and speeds are, 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 are modest as a result. But it, it, that's sort of baked in. So it's, it's, it's possible to game, but it's very difficult. Um, in a private chain, it's very different. And this is why we see a lot of people using private chains today. And, and similar, people started using private clouds before they went to public clouds, right? So one is um, in a private chain, all the participants are people that I do business with. So I know where their businesses are incorporated. I know what legal remedies are available to me. There are natural disincentives for them to be bad actors. Um, and so it's a very different value proposition that are there. So you've got a mix of, of legal frameworks as well as technology frameworks that you're using um, that uh, even when someone might be able to go do that, um, there are natural disincentives um, in terms of legal action that would Im- uh, impact that. And contracts can also, you can you can have them designed to put like emergency breaks if they see things that are uh, untowards or things like that as, as well. So there's, there's a bunch of ways you can, you can handle that. But I would think for most implementations, it's going to be the private chain approach, right? Like you, you don't really want to have to count on everyone else. So it depends on what you're doing. And so it's going to be uh, a mixture. Mm-hmm. And so for some things, I'm going to put things on the public networks. Um, like I may want to have uh, my university put my degree on the public chain so people can see it. Um, I may have a private uh, supply chain scenario, but I may sort of um, anchor some history information um, on the public chain so people can understand where things came from uh, and that sort of thing. Um, so it, it's going to be a mix. A lot of what we see today um, is is in the public space. There's some really interesting work being done in the public space as well. Um, I think some of the things that you've seen in the public space is because um, you don't get to run things for free. Um, in, in many cases, they have something, there's a notion of gasp where you're basically paying for execution. Right. And you're paying in the currency of that particular chain. And so as you've seen over the last couple of years, like currency valuations for cryptocurrencies have been all over the map. Yeah. Mostly on the way down. Well, yeah, I, I fortunately got in on the way up. But yeah, there's right now they've not uh, more recently they've had a bad, uh, bad run. Yeah. But the reality there is that, um, you know, people are now talking about things like um, stable coins or things like that, where the it's, you know, may peg to a, 
uh, off-chain financial instrument. So there's some reasonable expectation for what you might go go do. Uh, and they're also working on making it faster. So I, I think just like I say in the, the early days, the, the public chain, um, I think everyone knew it was the future, uh, but private chain is the way to help them get there. I, I remember when we, we only released PaaS uh, in the first iteration of Azure, I had this partner came to me and said, like, Mark, you've shown me this beautiful island, but there's no boat for me to get there because the reality is I've got all, all this sort of enterprise mess that's there today. Hmm. And so I think what the private chains are allowing people to do is, is figure out how to go and write their smart contracts, which should run in the public chain just fine. Um, while the, the legalities and other things are getting sorted out and, and best practices and whatnot are sorted out. Um, and, and they're sort of evolving their business process. I mean, you know, it's a sh- when we say shared database, it doesn't sound like a big thing, but it, you're yeah. now taking a, a dependency across uh, multiple businesses to use shared data. Now, in some cases, it's huge. And so a huge benefit. If I've got a bank in New York that has 1,600 people just dedicated to handling reconciliation, so databases that get out of sync. So just think about the cost of 1,600 staff in New York that could be doing other things, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that can save a ton, but it's also, I'm, I'm now reorganizing my business process with my partners. Um, and so that takes some time. And then, uh, you know, right now, you know, I joke that everyone talks about marriage, but no one talks about divorce. And so we're all going to work together. But what happens if something happens when that doesn't work out? Right. right? Yeah. Um, like in certain cases, if you've got a financial institution that's doing what is found to be doing um, money laundering or dealing with a rogue state, like you might not be able to do business with them anymore. So so how do you handle that? And so there's yeah. there will be some some non-technical frameworks that need to be in place as well because you legally can't do business with them, but they still have a business to run and they've made a dependency on this, this shared data. And so um, this whole notion of consortiums and consortium governance is another really big topic that is a mixture of, of business and technology that you're seeing us invest a lot in too. Um, and you'll see more from us over the, over the next year. What happens when the chain gets really, really long? I mean, I know that the, that the Bitcoin folks are battling this, the massive size of the blockchain these days. Yeah, I mean, I think, Massive is is relative, and there are ways to get the the chain condensed and taking um taking certain aspects of it. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about that too too much. There there are ways that are there. Probably a whole show in and of itself about how people w- would uh, do that. But it, you right. know we have people that are running certain chains on devices today. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe what I could do is I could give you a couple of links that we could include the podcast that right. we could see how they can do that too. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, Mark, this has been fantastic. I know, uh, I don't know about Richard, but I personally, my eyes are open to what the possibilities are for blockchain using it beyond Bitcoin. And uh, this really sounds pretty cool. And I hope you do change the world, man. Hey, that's why I get up every day looking to do it, man. And so I think with the, with the new stuff we released, we actually made it more accessible. So I'm, I'm just super excited about what people are going to go build. You know, if you take that wall down in terms of how hard, because I used to see people that was had pain trying to get this thing to work yeah right the, the demos were like green text scrolling on a black background like executives were like that's either the opening of the matrix or my business process like i don't know and i'm not going to give you the money to go put that in production <laughs> and so now you can make it look like office and, and tie it into office and those sorts of things so um we're getting there and so i think now we've got the right mix of things that um people can go build and we're just excited to see them go do it awesome awesome thanks again mark thanks guys take care all right we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.